a passionate call to continue following in Paul's footsteps. Uh, we're going to see that repeated when we get to chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He's going to remind him again to follow in my footsteps, follow in my footsteps. This concept of following in Paul's lead is kind of a central theme to the book of 2 Timothy. As you, uh, if you were looking for me to give you a theme, that's, that's one of the major themes. And you recall, this is basically Paul's last words. Timothy, I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm going to need you to follow in my lead. You're going to have to take over where I leave off. And that's good advice for all of us, you know. Uh, I'm not always going to be here. Somebody's going to have to pick up the stick when I go down. Uh, that's just the way life is. So that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Let's read verse 6 again. He says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now when Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift of God, the language literally is to fan into flame uh, the gift of God. That spark is already there. There's a glowing ember there, and you just gotta, you got to blow on it a little bit to get it going. It takes a little bit more effort to get it to flare up in Timothy's life. It's died down a little bit. Uh, and I, as I read about this, uh, stir up the gift of God, fan it into flame, it's kind of the opposite of what you read in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, where it says, quench not the Spirit of God. You can quench it, you can put it out, or you can fan it up. You got one or the other you can do with your life. What are you going to do? If you're a Christian, it's glowing there waiting for you to do something with it. Uh, now, just as we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, when Paul again taught... All right, let's back up. 1 Timothy 4 and 14. Uh, nope, that's the wrong... No, I was looking at the wrong chapter. Uh, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. I believe it's the same gift that Paul's talking about here. Uh, and Paul didn't tell us what it was then, and he doesn't tell us what it is now. And he did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. I believe Paul intends this to be a principle to be applied to all kinds of spiritual gifts, you see. If we look at, wow, I didn't get that gift that Timothy has, so it doesn't count for me. But if he leaves a general like that, it's a rule of thumb that we can all follow, see. I think that's why he left that on purpose. Uh, did you know that if you do not actively use your spiritual gifts, they will fade out of your life? Unless you are exercising them, just like a muscle, they're going to atrophy. Unless you are using it, it's going to atrophy, it's going to decay, it's going to lose strength. Now, as we mentioned already, the laying on of hands is mentioned here. You saw it, right? And I believe it refers to Timothy's ordination as a minister. That's what I believe it's referring to. Uh, and today's verse kind of focuses on Paul's part in that event. He, uh, he says, the lay, putting on of my hands... Uh, whereas back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, the focus was on the group of elders. They're laying on to the hands of the presbytery. He was looking at the, of which Paul was one. But today the focus is more on, Timothy, you're carrying forward something that I gave you through the laying on of my hands. You're following in my footsteps, Timothy. I'm dying. You've got to take, take up the role here. Now, let's back up just a little bit. 
verse 6 starts right off with wherefore, right? When Paul says wherefore, he's showing his confidence that Timothy's faith is steadfast. Just like we saw last time when we saw that it's rooted in an ancient heritage. I saw it in your mother. I saw it in your grandmother. Just like me, Timothy, it's been down through the ages. We've been following in the same grand heritage of trying to worship God and follow Him in the way that we're supposed to. Paul's betting that Timothy is going to prove to be just as steady as the women who grounded this faith in his life so that he wouldn't collapse. But Paul also wants to make it clear that this confidence is assuming that Timothy is going to follow through on the good work which has already been begun in him. We see this sort of thing other places. Uh, I don't really have time to look them up right now, but I'm going to throw a couple of references at you. You can see this sort of thing in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You can see it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 as well. Go ahead and look them up this afternoon, and you'll see the same concept. But here, Paul's making it clear that he isn't teaching Timothy anything new. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance. I'm not teaching you anything you don't already know, Timothy. This is, I'm just reminding you of a gift of a knowledge that you have already received, you see. And did you know that that's most of what you and I are doing here when we get together on a Sunday anyway, or it ought to be most of what we're doing here on a Sunday? I shouldn't be so much teaching you new information as I should be reminding you of biblical truths that you already know from your own study. You should be studying on your own and knowing this already, and I'm just reminding you of something that you've already noticed. Oh yeah, I'd forgot about that. That's really the goal that we've got here. I'm not supposed to be a teacher so much as a reminder. So when Paul says the gift of God, as I say, there could be a number of things that he's speaking of. It could be the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, which would have come at his salvation, right? That's a, that's a great gift, uh, which would kind of make sense in light of what verse 7 says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Or it might re also refer to spiritual abilities or gifts, which the Holy Spirit gives to us as Christians, which I've already alluded to. And as you might have guessed, that's kind of the one that I'm leaning toward here. That's what I believe it probably is. I'm not going to nail it down, this is what it is. I think it's vague, and I think it's vague on purpose. Uh, however, the only other time that this exact phrase is used in the New Testament is in Romans 6.23, where it describes the uh, gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the only other time the gift of God is ever used in the New Testament. Did you know that? Doesn't that seem a little bit odd? God is a giving God. We're going to talk about that more in just a couple of minutes. But the only time the gift of God is ever referred to, again, is uh, Romans 6.23. And it's talking about eternal life. By the way, this concept of the gift of God, at, not in those exact words, God being a giving God is kind of a trademark expression of Paul's. Paul's always referring to the gifts that God gives to us and things like that. Uh, but whatever Paul may have in mind here, Timothy is in possession of something free, it's a gift, 
and something powerful from God himself. We're going to look more into the power aspect of it in a little bit. But that fact alone, that it's something free and something powerful from God himself, can make all the difference, can't it, in a situation where you might be tempted to cower in fear. I might be, there are things that happen in this life, and I might be tempted to just cower away in fear until I realize that I have a gift that's powerful, and it came from God Almighty. And that puts things in a totally different perspective, doesn't it? And we'll see that when we get to verse 7 in just a couple of minutes. And we'll see next time when we get together, when we're looking at verse 8, that some suffering may be necessary in order for Timothy to stay true to the things which have been trusted in him. We'll talk about that next time. The Holy Spirit of God, though, is the driving force behind any true Christian ministry, isn't it? There is no such thing as true Christian ministry without the Holy Spirit being the driving force. The catch is that we have to be willing to use the gifts that He's given to us. He freely gives us each gifts, but we have to be willing to use them. in whatever ministry we may be called to. You may be called to a different ministry than I am. We're all called to different tasks. In this case, Paul's telling Timothy that his gift has been kind of burning low lately. Timothy, you may want to check up on that. Your fire's burning out. You've got to fan that into flame again. It's going to take a little bit of attention on your part, Timothy, to bring this back to a vibrant life, a powerful ministry. It's dying out on you, Timothy. Make sure you fan it back into flame. I just took my fire safety uh, class that I have to take periodically for work. This fire requires three things, right? It takes fuel. You've got to be in this word. It takes air, oxygen specifically, and it takes a chemical reaction provided by heat, uh, and it, then it feeds itself. We've got the fervor of the Holy Spirit. If we fan that up, get some air to it, feed it with some fuel from God's Word, it's going to revive back up into a powerful flame again. And notice we've already talked about it a little bit. This gift came from God and came through Paul. You saw that, right? Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, came from God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. It came from God through Paul. See, there's a vertical as well as a horizontal relationship going on here. And we see this throughout the Old Testament whenever someone or something is dedicated to the Lord's service, right? Uh, and we see it in Jesus' ministry. And he often used touch as he was ministering to somebody else, when he was healing someone, he touched them on their eyes, he touched them wherever. Uh, when, uh, when we turn to the book of Acts, we see that the laying on of hands was a means of God giving his Holy Spirit to believers in Acts chapter 8, verse 17. Acts chapter 9, also verse 17, so that makes it easy for you to remember. They were just pages apart. 8, 17, 9, 17, go ahead and look at them this afternoon. Uh, when we were in 1 Timothy chapter 5.22, we spoke of the laying on of hands as a means of showing ordination to a church office. 
We talked about that. This laying on of hands, personal contact, is an important thing. As we've already mentioned, Paul isn't exactly clear what he's referring to here through the laying on of hands. And whatever that case may be, it must have been a powerful moment in Timothy's life that was going to come immediately to mind when Paul mentions it. Remember that gift that you got when, we laid on, when I laid my hands on you? So then he makes a contrast, or comparison and contrast, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. As we read this verse about Paul speaking about the spirit that God gives to us, I hope you realize that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. You do realize that, right? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is anything but a spirit of fear. Anything but a spirit of fear. We see a spirit of fear all around us, don't we? We've got people living in fear. Uh, we've got people so fearful that they're putting a little piece of cloth over their face thinking that it's going to protect them from some unseen force. Uh, people live in fear. The Greek word for fear here is the word delia, which is used in popular Greek culture to describe someone fleeing from battle. Fleeing from battle. Uh, it's a military term. Showing cowardice to the point of neglect of duty. That's what delia means. You've thrown down your arms and run away. We're not talking phobia. That's another kind of fear. We're talking delia. You've thrown down your weapons, you've neglected your duty, and you've run away when you were supposed to be counted on to do a task. And see, fear settles in when you put your focus on the situation rather than putting your focus on God's sovereignty. When you realize that my God is sovereign over this, His creation, He built this in the first place, He certainly is in control of it. Amen? When my focus is on that realization, then the other things that are happening within this creation don't really matter that much, do they? See, that cowardice to the point of neglected duty hadn't ought to be true of a Christian. I hope you realize that we as Christians are called to boldness. We're not called to cowardice. We're called to boldness. That's the mark of the Spirit of God. Let's look up a couple of passages. I've got a little bit of time. Let's go to Proverbs 28. If I can find it. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. How about Acts chapter 4? And uh, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. With boldness. See, this 
is the motivation for Timothy to rekindle the fire of the gift that's within him, you see. This is the motivation, the boldness that comes along with it. When you fan this fire into flame again, you're going to have a boldness, and you're not going to be running around cowardly. The Spirit of God doesn't cause us to be timid or to be cowardly or to be hiding from events. And when Paul writes to Timothy in this way, he's reminding Timothy, I believe, I'm speculating here, I believe that he's reminding Timothy of the tears that we saw last week in verse 4. Remember that? Let's back up. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. See, Timothy has had some disappointing, discouraging things, and Timothy has been brought to tears over this. But that's not the spirit that God gives us, Timothy. Come on, fan that back into flame, Timothy. Buck up, let's handle this. See, tears aren't generally seen as a uh, sign of strength and courage, are they? Not generally seen as a sign of strength and courage. Paul's given Timothy a call to rally, to wipe away the tears and have a fresh confidence in God. That's what Paul's calling Timothy to. Yes, Timothy, I am dying. The axe man's coming. You're going to have to buck up, and you're going to have to handle this. I'm not going to be here anymore, Timothy. It's your turn. I believe, I believe so, yes. I believe that's one of the things that brings some... And that's, I believe, based on that, uh, when we look at Paul's words in verse 4, he says, Greatly desiring to see thee, I want to see you one more time, Timothy. I know you're tearful. That would give me joy. But Paul knows that that's really not what's going to happen. We'll get more into that when we get towards the end of the book. Paul makes plans for the future, knowing that he's going to die. And that's what we need to do as Christians, too. I'm kind of stealing my own thunder when I get to the bottom of the book. Uh, we always need to be planning for the future, but expecting God to punch my ticket today. Uh, you see, no matter what Timothy's specific gifting might be, and I don't know what it might be, uh, the Holy Spirit is incompatible with fear. You cannot have a spirit of fear and the spirit of God at the same time. They cannot live in the same room together. We always have two choices as believers. We can be controlled by fear, or we can walk in faith. We've always got those two. We can walk in fear, or we can walk in faith. You can't walk in both. So we just looked at the negative side. We spent a little while looking at the negative side. This is the spirit that God does not give us. God does not give us a spirit of fear. What kind of uh, spirit does God give us? Now Paul looks at the positive, you see. God's spirit is one of power and of love and of a sound mind, it says in the King James. See, fear is easily displaced by any one of those attributes, let alone all three together. Power displaces fear. Love will seek and displace fear. And a sound mind, if I'm rationally thinking about this, that also displaces fear, doesn't it? Any one of those on its own can displace fear let alone all three combined. Now, 
we'll start right in. I'm going to give you a little bit of a Greek word study. None of it's very difficult. The Greek word here for power is the Greek word dynamis. Uh, they used to call generator, power generators, electrical power generators, dynamos. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, can I give you a, a high school physics lesson? Just a very brief high school physics lesson. I hated uh, high school physics, by the way. But you've got two different kinds of energy. There's latent or potential energy, right? Or you've got kinetic energy. Latent or potential energy is like in the car battery. Well, I got a car out there, a 12 volt car battery. There's 12 volts of latent deep cycle power ready to, when I make electrical contact, now the starter turns and the car starts. Or there's potential energy, energy in motion, where that gasoline explosion is driving the piston down and turning the crankshaft and driving the transmission, and we've got power in motion. It's no fun to stare at a battery, is it? You can stare at a battery if there's power there. Yes, sirree, Bob. Or there's power in motion. I showed Charlie the picture of the, uh, the Lombard log hauler plow truck, a steam locomotive plow truck they used to use in the state of Maine. That is power, brother. That's power. I can't imagine that thing lumbering down the road. We're talking about dynamic power, power in motion. Yes, we've got latent potential power. I've got it. The Holy Spirit gives me a latent potential power. But until I put it in motion, do something with it, it's not that impressive, is it? We've got to do something with this. I got a little off topic there, sorry. This uh, dunamis is a very common word for Paul to use. He uses it 45 times in his writings. 45 times Paul talks about dunamis. Paul loves to talk about the awesome power of our God. But he talks about something else. He talks about love. Agape, that's the word we're using here. This is an even more common word for Paul, by the way. He uses this one 71 times. He talks about power 45 times. He talks about agape 71 times. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where he uses it the most. In the, if you really want it in a potent package, that's where you go. Everybody knows that. We saw in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 that love is supposed to be the center of Timothy's ministry. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, rather. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Paul knew what the unconditional love of God was like. God saved Paul when he was probably the most hell-bent anti-Christian person alive on earth at the time. He went to Jerusalem, well, he lived in Jerusalem at the time, and he got a hunting license to kill Christians. And he went all the way to Damascus on a hunting trip to hunt Christians. That's Paul. Paul was responsible for the very first Christian martyr. That's Paul. When God saved Paul, he was the most anti-Christian person on earth. Paul knows what the unconditional love of God is like. Surely God would never save Paul, and yet he did. Did you know that our, 
Our God's love is a giving love. Our God's love is a giving love. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved, He gave. For God so loved, He gave. What did He give? His only Son. But that's not all. God's Spirit's also one of a sound mind. Greek word is sophronismos. I've given you the other uh, Greek word, so I'll give you this one. Sophronismos, uh, which can quite literally be translated self-disciplined. Self-disciplined. King James kind of does us a disservice as sound mind. Well, I being of sound mind, uh, that's really not the impression we're trying to get. We're talking about being in control, self-controlled, self-disciplined. See, fear and distractions can take over and they occupy your mind, don't they? We've talked about the spirit of, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. What does fear do? It drives out all other thoughts from your mind, doesn't it? Now I'm afraid of this thing. Whereas if you have discipline, you can keep your mind under control. And that fear doesn't drive out your thoughts. See, God's Spirit can give us just that kind of discipline that we need. And I'll tell you what, I need that all the time. Do you? Does anybody else have frustrations and fears that seem to try and creep in and you need self-control and you need some discipline to be able to get those under? No, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that because I've got the Spirit of Almighty God who put this whole place together in the first place and can certainly keep it together. In today's society, that sounds like exactly what we need, doesn't it? Next week, we're going to be breaking into a really long sentence that goes on for uh, four or five verses. Uh, so I don't want to break into it today. Uh, but we're going to start. We're, I, I promise you I won't even be able to cover the whole sentence next week. So I apologize ahead of time. We're going to uh, look at two-thirds of the sentence that we're going to look at next time. Uh, but I'll close us in a word of prayer here. Lord, I do thank you for the spirit of power and of love and of self-control that you give to us. You allow us to live by faith and not by fear.